Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. What is poetry and song? Well, perhaps we'll find out in this program with our guests Ron Whitehead and Sarah Elizabeth from Campbellsville, Kentucky. They visited the studios of Radio Curious in May of 2004. And you can learn more about Ron Whitehead and Sarah Elizabeth and their song and words at their website, www. TappingMyOwnPhone.com That's all one word, TappingMyOwnPhone.com We begin in this program when I asked Ron Whitehead to tell us a little bit about himself. I've worked with young people for, for years and years. I've taught college for 11 years. And when I go, and, and, and I, I've had over 100 jobs in my life. I grew up on a farm in Kentucky. I dropped out of college early on because I got sick and tired of professors acting like they were God's gifts to students. And I I got tired of hearing there's no such thing as an original thought. It's all been said and done before. And the very best you can do is paraphrase it back to me, but don't use my exact words. And so I dropped out of school feeling like I didn't need this mess. And so... After working 100 jobs, I decided, no, the time has come to live my dream. And I started where I was. I built a bridge by taking one step at a time from where I was to get to where I wanted to be so I could live my dream. And and my dream was and is to become one of the most respected poets in the world and to teach college. And so I went back to the classroom, willing to take every risk necessary in order to make it an honest experience. Allen Ginsberg, who had the honor of working with for years, told me, be candid. There's not enough candor in the world. There's not enough honesty in the world. So I don't demand anything of my students that I don't ask of myself. I rip my gut and my heart and my soul open and spill it onto the table. I asked them to do the same thing. How do you do that? Where do you reach to be able to find your gut, to rip it open and spill it? It took me years and years to find that place. Uh, When I left home when I was 17, all I wanted to do and all I attempted to do was to take a mental crap of everything that had been forced and pushed into me for the first 17 years of my life. It took me a while to realize that no matter how hard I tried, I could not make memories go away. They're embedded in me for good. So I'd already started in high school studying the complete works of Freud and Jung and their disciples, attempting to heal myself from the brutality of my early years. And I finally reached a place in the healing process where... I somehow, in in a waking moment, I drifted back to my childhood and began to remember 
the positive experiences I had in nature and with friends and with family, the loving moments. And and that became a central part of my healing process. And after a while, I began to, the love-hate relationship I had with Kentucky became as much love as hate. And it had been uh, overbalanced towards hate up to that point. And, and then, but not until then, did I find, as I began to embrace my roots, my Kentucky roots, I found my voice as a writer. And with finding my, up until then, I've been writing all out of my head. And as an editor and a publisher, the most boring, empty manuscripts I have received over the past 14 years from writers from around the world have been those that are technically perfect, but they're so technically, grammatically perfect that the stories have been bled out of them. They've been forgotten. And so I started to do a study of, you know, where does the best writing come from? The writing I engage, that engages me the most. And I, I discovered that the best writing, the most engaging writing, poems, stories, songs, films, comes from the same places life comes from, from sex, from uh, that solar plexus energy, and it, it, it comes out of our navel, from our heart. The Dalai Lama told me, too much energy in your country is spent developing the mind instead of the heart, develop the heart. So it was a multitude of things that occurred over a period of years that awakened me to the fact that I want to respond from all the major energy centers of my being, from my total self, from all of who I am. And I decided that I wouldn't, I had, if I had anything to hide, I was going to put it out on the table, either through my writing or in conversations. And I wasn't going to hide it anymore. I was just going to be myself. When I failed, I had no problem admitting my failure. And if I hurt somebody, I had no problem admitting that I hurt somebody and I asked for forgiveness. Forgiveness to me is amazing grace. So too much energy in our country is spent in the head, in our writing, and in every other aspect of our society. And to me, um, that ends up being mental masturbation. And I, I want to go beyond that i want the my full life force involved in everything i do when you go beyond it where do you go how do you make that transition to go beyond well as a conscious awareness um, over the years i've developed a process that Can you i describe that, that process briefly um in the mornings as i'm coming into consciousness i start i have a series of affirmations visualization prayer and meditation that i do can you say what they are? The affirmations are merely positive statements that uh, maybe I've heard one, read one. I'm a student of mystical um, spirituality, uh, Jewish mysticism, Christian mysticism, Buddhist mysticism, Native American mysticism. Uh, my deepest yearning throughout my life has been to stare deep into the eyes of God, to be one with God, to transcend without abandoning this beautiful life. I, I want to connect with that energy, that spiritual force energy, that Holy Spirit energy, which is available, which I have discovered is available to me. And uh, so, so I have learned how to do that on the spot, and I take this energy to the classroom, to the performances that we do. 
so, so there are a series of affirmations that I do in the mornings that involve visualization as well. All is well. The first one I do every day, and that's the message that is at the heart of the Buddhist Diamond Sutra. All is well. All is well. All is well. Regardless of what's going on around me, everything is okay. And if I can let go, if I can stop grasping and clinging to whatever thoughts, ambitions, fears that I have, let go of them, everything will fall into place. And it does, day after day. Ron, you have a book on your lap. Yep. Is there something in there for us to hear that you would read? Well, actually, I just, um, as, as part of our tour, we we came through from Los Angeles up Highway 1, Big Sur, stopped in San Francisco and visited with my friend Lawrence Ferlinghetti, um, and we went to Golden Gate, walked Golden Gate Bridge before coming on up to Ukiah. And uh, Lawrence has a new book out, and and I've just been reading it. And there's a section on poetry, and I just thought maybe at some point there's just one page, um, part of this poem that Lawrence has written about what poetry is that I, I thought I might share. How about now? Okay. A poem is a phosphorescent, instant-illuminating time, a moment of absolute spirit. If the universe or the world had a soul, the aim of poetry would be to reveal it. Poetry is more than painting sunlight on the wall of a house. It is Van Gogh's ear echoing with all the blood of the world. It is a lightning rod transmitting epiphanies. It is a dragonfly catching fire. It is the sea light of Greece, the diamond light of Greece. It is a lamp of the imagination lighting up every darkness. It is a bright vision made dark, a darkling vision made bright. It's the trees in spring in a back garden on Morton Street. It is what the late November sang about the disturbance of the spring. Poems are shadows on the wall of Plato's cave, glimpsed but fleetingly. Poetry is eternal graffiti in the heart of everyone. A poem is a mirror walking down a strange street full of visual delight. Poetry is the shook full of the imagination. It should shine out and half-blind you. It is the sun streaming down in the meshes of morning. It is white nights and mouths of desire. It is a tree with live leaves made from log piles of words. A poem should arise to ecstasy somewhere between speech and song. Poetry is the still sound between the strings of a lute. It is the birth of ideas before they are distilled into thought. It is made by dissolving halos and oceans of sound. It is the street talk of angels and devils. It is a sofa full of blind singers who have put aside their canes. Poems are lifesavers when your boat capsizes. Poetry is the anarchy of the senses making sense. It is all things born with wings that sing. It is a voice of dissent against the waste of words and the mad plethora of print. It is what exists between the lines Thank you, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. God bless you, man. And thank you, Ron Whitehead. You're welcome. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with Ron Whitehead, a traveling poet who is visiting the studios of Radio Curious, with his partner and companion, Sarah Elizabeth. You are listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Ron, share with us who you've brought to the studio. 
Okay. First young lady from Kentucky, Sarah Elizabeth, is uh, sings. She's been touring with me for a year and a half now. And she, her newest CD, Honeysuckle Vine, includes work by one of um, a musician who played with Bill Monroe for years. And uh, let's see, she sings old-time traditional Appalachian songs, some a cappella. She's classically trained, though. And she's uh, she is truly a Kentucky girl. Uh, hillbilly runs all through her blood. Sarah Elizabeth, welcome to Radio Curious. Hi, thanks for having me. You have a song for us. I can see it in your eyes. I always have a song. <laughs> what song is it? Uh, this one's called Fraulein, and it's a song that I've actually carried with me all of my life. I learned it when I was a little bitty girl uh, from listening to my dad and my uncles sing it in our front yard back in Kentucky. So I'd like to sing that one for you. Far across the deep blue water lived an old German daughter, fell in love, thought I nearly lost my mind. And it was there that I met her, and I know I can't forget her, for she is my pretty Thank you, Sarah Elizabeth. Nice to have you here at Radio Curious. It's been wonderful to be here in Ukiah, California. An oasis, I've heard you call it. It is an oasis. It's it's very peaceful, and the air is so pure and clean here. It's, it just seems like when I step out in the morning, it's just such a, a refreshing thing to greet me outside. Ron Whitehead and Sarah Elizabeth have a CD called Kentucky Poems, Stories, and Songs. One of the pieces on that CD, cut number five, is called Sex Education. Sex Education Daddy came home from the mines every day after four o'clock And no matter where on the farm we were We tuned our ears to hear his truck coming from at least two miles away And the first to hear it always yelled, Here comes Daddy! And no matter what we were doing, we'd run to hide And I knew the first thing Daddy would yell when he set foot on the ground out of the truck was 
own come here and the questions would start about what work we'd done today and if one thing hadn't been done or even done but not done right then I'd get my daily dose of beating and it took me years and years to heal those bleeding wounds but that's not all I remember cause there were a handful of mornings before daddy went to the mines when he'd come up to our attic room and I still hear the steps creaking with his big footsteps walking up them and he put his hands on our heads on those rare mornings and daddy said boys it's time to get up and in that brief touch and those gentle words I felt and heard his love and it was those memories that more than anything helped the healing once it finally happened but I also remember that spring morning when Muscle and I were standing behind the barn with daddy and that was the day we received our sex education when we all three looked across the pond where the bull had mounted the cow and daddy said see that and Muscle and I looked at each other and together said yeah and daddy said all right then and in one fluid movement Muscle and I looked from the bull and the cow going at it then up to daddy then to each other then back to the bull and the cow going at it and the sky is turquoise blue and it fills my soul and a crow calls up there somewhere and I hear a whippoorwill down in the meadow and the beagles are barking and it's such a beautiful spring day and I'm glad to be alive and yes that's my formal sex education and I reckon that's all I needed but it wasn't long after that I started going to the library and hiding in a corner reading whatever book on sex I could get my hands on cause I just had to know and another cut number three by Ron Whitehead is called Mama 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 killed chickens. She popped their heads off, put her foot on the little yellow hen's head, grabbed its legs, and jerked hard. The head just laid there on the grass while the little chicken body went flopping all over the yard. Us kids ran like crazy, dodging chicken blood. I liked it better when Mama took the twenty-two rifle to the barn and would shoot a little hen off the high rafter up near the top of the barn where the chickens all roosted. Mama was a good shot. One Christmas Eve, there was a terrible storm. Daddy was off at the mines. Mama said, come on. And all us kids piled in the back of the pickup truck. Mama had the shotgun. We drove slow through the storm with Mama looking all around. Then she pulled over and said, come on. We followed. We walked a ways until we came up on a tree, a cedar tree. And Mama said, get behind me. We did, and she took aim and shot the tree in the trunk with both barrels, blew it clean in two. Mama said, y'all get the Christmas tree and come on. Us kids let out a yell. We were so happy because Christmas had finally come. Ron, have you had a chance to consider the morphing of the beats to the hippies? I sure have. The... um the beat generation, I've, I've studied the lineage, um, going back to Homer, So, but I'm not going to go that far with it. I'll just start with the beats. The beats were a group of friends who met in the 40s and 50s and worked together and inspired and uplifted and traveled and in, encouraged each other and helped each other get their books published and they struggled and failed together um they were human beings who 
despite their fear, went ahead and did what they loved to do, what they were compelled to do, and that was to create art, uh, poems, books, songs, stories. And in the 50s, uh, there were two elements, two powerful elements, besides what was going on in our culture, in our um, repressive post-World War II and then post-Korean War culture, we had mothers throughout America who became more and more fed up with their stifling existence. And those mothers began to talk to their children and inspire them, uh, encourage them to follow paths they wanted to follow. The Beat Generation, young men mostly, a few women on the periphery, except for Diane Prima, who forged her way into the inner circle. <clears throat> the B generation were adults who chose to live lives separate from the status quo. So their books, and they wrote books, and those books became lighthouses for young people who were being encouraged by their mothers to follow creative paths instead of just what the patriarchal society of the 50s and the McCarthy era uh, was trying to force them into, you know, keep on doing what we tell you to do. And so it was this, uh, this crucible was created that, by uh, all the elements. That developed into... That developed into, in the early 60s, there, there was one symbolic journey that took place. Ken Kesey had started having parties, group meetings here in California. And he decided with that his group would take a trip across the United States. And Neil Cassidy uh, was a member, was a friend with Ken, and uh, he was appointed driver of the bus, the bus was christened further, and they took this trip with the goal of influencing as many people as they could along the way, but with the end goal being to meet Jack Kerouac in New York City. And they made that made the trip all the way, and in New York, Allen Ginsberg introduced Ginsberg uh, introduced Kerouac to Kesey and. The baton was passed from the beat generation, symbolically, to what became the hippie generation. And the books, there was so much um, pressure in the 50s, so much uh, reactionary political energy repression, people being held down and pushed down. Um, and, And the original beats, Ginsburg in particular, worked to fight for civil rights, um, for for all the rights for people to be free to people for people to be able to come out of whatever closet they were hiding in, and so then the books by Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac, especially Kerouac's novels on the road, Dharma Bums in particular. Many people believe that Dharma Bums, which was published in 1958, one year after Kerouac's most well-known book on the road, 1957, Dharma Bums gave birth to the hippie 
generation, that book in particular. Uh, so basically what he, it's the story of friends, you know, throwing a backpack on and hitchhiking across America. So everything, it was like the hundredth monkey. Um, the Beats wrote their books and shared their stories with a hundred friends. And all of a sudden those hundred friends shared them with a thousand friends. And the next thing we knew, we had hundreds of thousands, millions of hippies in the 60s. Uh, who are the children of the Beats? There's no question about it. And I, f- I have discovered, I thought for years, that they had disappeared, that they had just assimilated into middle-class American culture. And it had depressed me for so long, I felt like I was the only person out there, this Beat hippie, punk, you know, wandering around in this wilderness in Kentucky. And then last year I came to Northern California and discovered that Hell, all the hippies had moved to Northern California. I'd never been north of San Francisco till last year. Well, some of us say that uh, San Francisco is in Southern California. Well, hey, and hey, I believe it now. Since I've come north, I believe it. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> You're welcome. Ron Whitehead, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. You're welcome. Thank you. And before we close, I'd like to ask you and Sarah Elizabeth to tell us each about an interesting book that you've read lately. Hmm. Uh, since I was a kid, I have kept between 7 and 20 books going at any given time. So to name the most recent one, let me see. My Jean's Red Dust. Uh, Red Dust. It's um, been called China's On the Road. Uh, it's, it's about a, a dissident um, artist, poet, journalist, photographer who drops out and hits the road and travels around China with little money. And sometimes he runs out and makes ends meet by begging or doing a little work. And But it gives a, a real insight into China behind the lines, uh, the real people's lives of China and the dissidents, the people who... Uh, speak out who want who want a more democratic nation. So that's that's it's, it's a beautiful book. And Sarah Elizabeth, your thoughts on a book? Um, actually, I'll tell you my favorite book, and I've read it several times, a handful of times. It's called The Devil's Dream, a novel by Lee Smith, and uh, it is about one family throughout several several generations and how. Uh, music weaves between the family members throughout the generations. It's based in Appalachia. You know, it's by the Southern writer, and she's actually my favorite writer, Lee Smith. Ron Whitehead and Sarah Elizabeth, thank you all for joining us on Radio Curious. Ron Whitehead and Sarah Elizabeth are travelers, singers, and poets. Their recent album is called Kentucky, Poems, Stories, and Songs. It's a CD published in Heaven Audio. The book that Ron Whitehead recommends is Red Dust by Mai Zhang. The book Sarah Elizabeth recommends is Devil's Dream by Lee Smith. You can learn more about Ron Whitehead and Sarah Elizabeth at their website, www.tappingmyownphone.com. That's all one word, 
Tapping My Own Phone. Or contact Ron Whitehead at tappingmyphone at aol.com. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious are available. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org. And I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707 621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. <laughs>